How are y'all doing? Good morning again. Let's pray. Father, we love you so, and Lord, we do recognize you've already won the battle. But nevertheless, we're here, and uh, you've told us that there will be troubles here. There will be things that come our way, and to trust you. So today, may we do so. Lord, uh, you have given us all things, and uh, I pray today that we can look into your word and see how this life, uh, one is lived and how it can be. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we'll be in Romans chapter 5, if you guys want to want to grab there. I know uh, Andrew read Romans 5, 1 through 11. And we'll pick up in 12, okay, is what we'll do. Now, I've had this kind of on my mind for quite some time it, 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 because I, I do fill in it every now and then. I'm trying to, to kind of be thinking about what I might do next if, if I do need to do that. And uh, so I've had this one on my mind for actually probably more than a year. And uh, so I'm, I'm glad to finally get it out um, because it's, it's been one of those that I've been playing with for a long time in my brain. Uh, you can't imagine the horror that went through my mind when Steve stood up on Easter Sunday and he said, turn to Romans 5. You remember that? That was the passage that Andrew read, was the passage that Steve preached from Easter morning. I was seated right along in here, and I just remember saying, don't say 12, don't say 12, don't say 12. And because uh, I, I honestly had resigned myself, y'all were just going to hear that passage twice. Because uh, uh, it was, but he, he stopped at 11 just in time, so it actually worked real, real nicely. But it is kind of a backup passage to what we're going to be talking about. So, so um, we'll be working on Romans 5, starting in verse 12. But hang on, we've got a little bit of work to do first, okay? I want to get there, and, and, and I want to lay a little bit of groundwork before we do that. In the early 1960s, uh, I was here. I was little bitty, but I was here at that point in time. Uh, but in the early 1960s, there was a rock and roll band that started up over in London. Uh, they uh, they uh, were a local band, like most bands start out over there, and, and they just kind of were playing around over there. And they began to get some notoriety. And I think officially they started at about 1962, uh, it was some friends, as those things actually end up being most of the time. One of them's name was Michael Yeager, that later became Mick Jagger. And the other's name was uh, Keith Richards. And, and then there was another couple of guys there, uh, one of whom was the drummer for the band The Rolling Stones, right? And he passed away here a little while back. The other guys are, are uh, still around. And uh, for those of us that remember the Rolling Stones back then, just for the record, Keith Richards and Mick Jagger this year turned 80. Does that date us a little bit? I know it's like, ouch. So I know there may be some folks here in the room uh, that don't know who the Rolling Stones are. I'm looking at Lily Grace. I asked her mother last week, 
you know, who was got one of the first rock and roll bands she remembers, and I, re and I realized real quick that if I was going to get somebody to say the Rolling Stone, I was going to have to find somebody uh, older than her mama. Uh, and I did, but I won't tell you who it is. Uh, but at any rate, LG, if you need to know who the Rolling Stones are, okay, ask your grandmother. Okay, she, she knows. And I, and I actually asked her about that. She said, yeah, I do. And I love them. So, uh, yeah, your grandmother will know that. Uh, but along about 1965, they came out with this song that uh, was kind of their first big hits, kind of the one that made them. And it's, it's, a, it's kind of a, a, a song that right now today, if you listen to, like, classic rock stations or anything like that on the radio, you'll hear this song once in a while. The name of the song is called Satisfaction, Okay. And in parentheses, it says, I don't get no. Okay? And y'all, you know, I, I don't know the, all the lyrics to the, the words. I mean, all the words to the song. I don't know all of them. But I know the hook line. And I bet just about everybody in this room does too. It goes something like, I don't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction. Though I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I've tried, I just can't get no satisfaction. Now, how many of y'all were doing that little drum riff in there when I was doing that? And I paused there for that second. Do you, do you, do you recognize the song? Yeah, I, I, everybody who was born before about 1970 is going, yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's, that's a song that's, that's played around a lot. I'm not suggesting it for a, you know, one of our worship songs or anything, but it... it, it uh, it is a song that I think, I don't think, it was written by, by Mick Jagger and, and Keith Richards. I don't think they had a spiritual emphasis in mind when they wrote it. I feel pretty sure they didn't. But one of the things I think they did was they may have tapped into something that kind of points us toward a human condition that I think we have to deal with. Now then, let me explain what I mean by that. Have you ever noticed when we strive for something, we really have something in our minds that we really, really, really want, something that we're after, something that, that really is out there in the future that we're just really, really working toward, really, really working toward, and then we get it, and it loses its luster pretty quickly. Let me... Let me uh, we, it's, it's, we spend a lot of time, I think, striving against our feelings of unfulfillment, disillusionment, and dissatisfaction. Just about the time we get there, it happens again. And here, let me use myself as an example. I, 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 just, just, when I can remember being in junior high school. I'll go all the way back to the olden days when we, were um, we weren't really using chalk in a in a, in a blackboard, but, but the teachers were. But uh, junior high school, I'm thinking, if I could just get to high school, if I could just get to high school, I, I'll, be able, I'll, be able, I'll turn 16, I'll be able to drive, maybe even date a little bit, but I will be in high school, and you know what? Life will be a lot better there. And... Everybody in high school said, not really, right? So in high school, I remember thinking, I need to get to college. 
feel a little bit of freedom. I'm going to live on, I want to live on campus. I'm going to enjoy some freedom in college, and I'm going to be able to, to, to be out there and be with people and, and doing all the college things, and that, that, that's what I need to be. I need to be in college. And somewhere along there in my cramming four years of college into five years, uh, I realized that this, one, is, is not all that great, and two, I'm, I'm ready to get on to something else. So I graduated college, and everybody's experience is not going to be just like this, but, you know, just, just kind of work with me here. Graduated college, and I thought, i got to get started in my career. i got to get started. i got a job. If I get a job, I'll have money, and then I can enjoy this newfound freedom I have of not having to be in class, actually get paid for doing something. I need a job. Got my first job. Didn't take long. Am I getting any nods here? Anybody recognize this, this circumstance I'm in? A lot of folks my age going, yeah. Anyway, and then it's like, well, I know what I need. I, I, need, to get, I need to get married. I, I need to get married. I need, I, need, I need to get married. That's what I need. I know what I need for my fulfillment in life. What will meet every need that I could possibly have? I need to get married. Now, all the married people, every possible need, every bit of fulfillment you could ever need in your, your life, is that what you found in your spouse? No men are moving a muscle right now. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just like, you know, it's just kind of, I mean, I, my, I don't, you know, I know y'all are going, hey, do you need some counseling, man? Is your, is your marriage okay? She's not here today. Uh, you know, it's like, no, my marriage is great, uh, you know, and she happens to be out of town, so uh, it's, it, my, my marriage is great. 40 years, I'm coming up on 40 years of marriage, and my marriage is great, but guess what? It, guess what we found out all along the way? We weren't going to be the total fulfillment for the other. It's just not, it's just not the way it works. So anybody that's thinking about, if I could just get married I've been single, I'm single, and I've been single too long. If I could just get married, my life would be better. It's probably going to be a little disappointing for you. I'm sorry. So then it's now I need to get a, you know, now I'm going along, and, 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 and I need to, to get a more significant job, or I need to get a promotion, or I need to get a, a, a go along, I need to get this, and you know, and it, we keep going along, we keep going along, and we're looking for this thing, this fulfillment thing, this satisfaction that, that, that I think the Rolling Stones were talking, talking a little bit about, maybe in a different context, but there, there was this search, and every time I felt like I got it, it, it wasn't there. That's what I mean when I say it seems to me like the Rolling Stones may have actually been on to something when they wrote that lyric. So here we are, and I'm getting, I'm getting enough nods to know that, you know, there's a lot of us, this is a, this is a fairly common human condition. I don't think it's, it's I don't I don't think you could go to a small child that gets a brand new toy and they love it, and then, and then two weeks later it's laying over in the corner, and, and you can just keep 
you can keep doing this with, with, with all of us. There's this thing about looking for something else and, and thinking we found it and it's not there. And there's, you know, we really have to kind of do something with this feeling. You, you know, we, we really do. There's this, we have to do something with it, I think, emotionally, spiritually. I mean, one of the options is to ignore it. I mean, I, I mean that, that actually is one of the options. I can't recommend it. But we have to do something with this feeling. And this is what I've noticed. These are, these are, these are just kind of my personal things that I've picked up on over time. But the first thing we like to do when we're feeling unfulfilled, let's use it that way, or dissatisfied, is to blame somebody. You know what? It was my, my dad's fault. You know, my dad was, was mean, and he never told me he loved me, and he, he uh, or no, it was my mom's fault. She was manipulative and, and difficult and moody. Now, I'm not saying, listen, hear me out. I'm not saying that many of us in this room don't have legitimate family of origin, family history issues, okay? Please hear me on that. I'm, not, I'm just saying we, as a, as a people, don't need to blame our own unsatisfaction on those people. We'll get back to that. The other one that's easy to blame is our spouses, right? Because they're close. Well, if my wife would just do this, or she would just, you know, do this, and, and if she would just have this, and, you know, if our home was like this, or if my husband would just, you know, do this, if he'd just bring, you know, do something, whatever, you, you guys pick it. If, if my spouse would just do something differently, then I would have fulfillment. It's, it's just so, such an easy, easy thing. Some folks like to blame things. What I mean by that, it's like if I could just get a new home or a bigger home or a, a new car or bigger income or a better job or more free time. That's where I'm at right now. I'd like to have more free time. I could be fulfilled if I had a little more free time. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's just, it's, you're just blaming other things for our sense of, of, of unfulfillment. If, if I had this, if I, if I had that. And here's one that's kind of wildly popular, particularly in a, in a church setting, is we blame ourselves. Well, if I could just do better. If I could just, if I could just do more. If I could just make myself be more disciplined about reading my Bible. If I could just make myself be more disciplined about keeping my desk straight, is a personal one. Uh, if I could just be more, be more this, be more that. So we blame ourselves. And again, that's just one of those things that I've noticed. And the last one, and I'll stop here because, you know, it's no need to just, just, just keep going. But there's one more, and there's, that's a group of folks that have just kind of given up. You know, just like, well, fulfillment is a, is an idea for the young to chase. And that's, you know, I think what I will do is I'll just, I'll just sit back, I'll go into my, my home and I'll close the door and I just, I'm just gonna just give up. 
unfortunately, that leads to a lot of despair and, and, and bitterness and, and those kinds of things. Well, what I would like to do is take a look at, at this scripture that we've talked about now, and, 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 and let's look at what's going on that, that seems to leave us in this state where we are continuously looking, but somehow not finding this thing that, that, will, that will give us a great deal of, of, of fulfillment. The scriptures actually are not silent on this issue. And uh, so let's, let's dig in. Romans, Romans 5.12. Now, listen to me. This, this passage is wordy, okay? And, and it's, some people call it difficult. And, and, I, and, I, and I'll, you'll see what I mean when, when we start getting into it. Uh, if you look at 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter even says, and I know you guys are wanting to read Paul. This is a Mike Ferry paraphrase. Uh, I know you guys are reading Paul, but man, that's some hard stuff. Good luck. Okay, because, I mean, Paul's writings can be, you know, a, a little more wordy. You know, Paul was like a really well-educated dude, and he, he, he really showed it in a lot of his writings. And, and he put, like I say, a lot of words in there. So let's, let's dig into this and, and see this comparison that takes place here in this, in this passage between basically Adam and how he is juxtaposed against Christ. And, and we'll dig in into some of this. So, so let's... <laughs> Let's dig in here, and, and I'll read a little bit and stop, so that maybe that doesn't get a little overwhelming. Therefore, remember the passage again that Andrew read. That's what this therefore is about. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. Now, I'm going to go ahead and stop here, because what the Scripture just told us is something that is very important. If we were to go back and read the Genesis account of, of creation... What we would see in that, that account is Adam, Eve in, a, in the garden, and everything in perfect harmony. You would see that, that uh, uh, animals didn't bite, as a, as a grape, for instance, and, and there was plenty to eat, and it was beautiful, and it, and it, it, was, it was in perfect harmony, and there was, there was, no, there was no sin, there was, and they had 100% access to God the, the Creator in the garden there. Everything was just in, in, in absolute uh, perfect. It was just perfect. And then there was, then sin was introduced. We know that, that God told Adam and Eve not to eat of the fruit of the tree. They chose to do that. And we know that sin came into the world through their disobedience there in the, God, in the garden. And what this passage tells us here, he said, just as sin came through, into the world through one man, Adam, and what? Death through sin. Prior to this, there had been no death. And, and that's talking about physical death, yes, but it's also talking about spiritual death. And I think as much as anything, this speaks to that spiritual death that took place when sin entered, the, the absolute evidence that sin had taken place was that death came into the world. So it, this death, what this death did was basically fracture everything that was perfect in the garden. Uh, you know, sin now 
was a part of, 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 of everything, and death, even more importantly. So, so here you have now, there is no longer this perfect harmony between man and woman even, or man and the animal kingdom, or man and nature, but the, the, more importantly, there was no longer this access to God that they had enjoyed. And the, the thing that they had been created to do was to, to have uh, uh, interactions with God for, the, for both of them. So no longer could the human spirit get to the heights for which it was created. There was, an un, in the past, there had been unabridged access to God of the universe by mankind on his, on his own. Therefore, there was no longer any depth in that relationship. Okay, now you, let's, read, let's read a little further along. I'm going I'm to read down uh, just a little bit more here. I'll back up and, and so we get the whole context. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Now, you see what I'm getting at by, by what, what Peter was saying about Paul's writings. You know, they get a little bit difficult sometimes, but let's, let's break that down and see, and see what we see. In this text, we hear that death entered the world through one man, Adam's through his sin, correct? And that death, death spreads to all mankind, and therefore sin in this context. Now, just I'm, I'm going to break it down to just this context. Sin in this context is not outward immoral acts, but rather a condition of mankind because sin reigned even during the time when there was no law. Think about the time between Adam and Moses. There was no law. So there was no written, this is, you do this, don't do that. This is wrong. That is correct. This is how you do it. There was not that guide in between there. But yet the scriptures tell us that sin reigned during that time because of one man's sin. So at that point, sin was a broken part of the human state. And all, all men suffered from it. Now, outward immoral acts are sin and need to be repented from, but the sin that leads to death is something that we were born with. Sin in this context is a broken state of the human soul that exists from our conception. Sin, then, is a state of the human heart. Now then, if we start to think of sin in this way, sin being the state of the human heart, it starts to make a lot of scriptures make sense if you go back and look at them. 
Okay, and this is what I'm, how about, how about, I'll just name a couple. How about this one? There's a way that seems right into man, but in the end it leads to destruction. Okay, Does that, that kind of makes sense now, right? Because there's, there's a way that we have, and quite frankly, it's based on our sinful state. So there's a way that seems, that seems right to man, but that leads to destru- destruction. Or when David said, surely I was brought forth into iniquity. You remember that passage? Iniquity, just, just a real quick side note on what iniqu- iniquity actually means, bent. What David was saying, look, I was born bent. You know, I, 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 I came out of my mother's womb broken and bent. And think about it. Think about it this way. Those of us that are parents in the room, how, how much effort did we have to put into our kids to get them to misbehave? It seemed to come natural for them, didn't it? Yeah, it's, uh, we never, we never ever, we only have one kid, but we never ever had to teach him to be obstinate and stubborn. I mean, he, he, he started that when he was really young. I mean, really young. Uh, we, we laughingly tell the story of him uh, turning over a chair. It was a little bitty chair that he used for something, and we told him to pick it up, and he reached down to do it. And then he looked at me and said, no, I'm not going to pick it up. Yeah, you need to pick that up. Nope. He may have been three, two or three when this happened. Now look, that's not how it is around our house. Okay? He did not learn that from Anita and me. Okay? That's, we, you know, if, 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 you know, we do things for each other. It's just like we'll go out of our way to do something for each other. But when we told him to pick that chair up, No. Now, as parents, we know that, that we sometimes find ourselves in these circumstances where we have to win. Y- y- y'all know these? I'm, I get a lot of shaking. You know, I don't really want to shake my head in front of my kid. But, yeah, there's times that we realize that it's better for us to win this one than to lose it. And this kind of struck us as one that if we're going to get uh, arms around this, this uh, the strong will, as they called it back then, we need to do it right here. So I think it was about two and a half hours when he finally stood the chair up. And there were some tears and by all three of us, okay, before it was over with. But he finally stood the chair up. So, so we didn't have to teach him that. And he wasn't going anywhere, you know, to, to learn that behavior. It came, it came straight from just who he is. And he would, like I say, he was really young. It, it, it's not, it, he did not learn that from his environment. I, pro- I promise we don't roll like that at our house. Uh, it's, it's, now, I'm also want to be very careful here. Environment does matter, okay? Because what environment does, environment will take what is bent and broken in us and it'll capitalize on that, and it'll cause us to get even more bent and broken 
and even more bent and broken. And environment, that's, that's, that's what environment does. But we're born, we are born bent. And then environment, like I say, will take those tendencies and bend it, bend it even worse. All right. I'm getting there. So let's, let's, let's look for some insight here. Let's, let's look for some insight. And we'll go back to our example, which is me, because I don't want to call anybody out here. Although I kind of did Lily Grace, but I'll get her back here in a minute, so don't worry. Uh, if, if I am bent and broken, as, as we've seen here in Scripture, and, and I'm striving, uh, looking to the things of this world to mend and help my bent and brokenness, but what 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 is that saying? If I'm looking, let's let's go. If I'm looking for others, if I'm I'm looking for my wife to mend my bent and brokenness, guess what? She's also bent and broken. Okay, so if I'm trying to say, you, you you know you need to. Let me tell you what happens with two bent and broken people when they get married. And I think everybody who's married in here will agree. What happens is there's very seldom this place where all of a sudden you're mending each other's boat burnt, bent and brokenness. What we generally do is expose each other's bent and brokenness. I think I could get an amen on that one. Because, you know, this, this, this marriage thing, you know, it's, it, 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 if you want to know, <laughs> my marriage is fine. I'll say it again. Uh, if you want to know what's dark, in your heart, get married. I mean, I'm saying that facetiously, but I mean, that's where it'll come out at, in that close, close relationship. So if I'm looking for that, I mean, my methodology for trying to mend my bent and brokenness is, is flawed. If I'm doing the same thing with, with I'm reaching out for, for things, and I'm trying to get things to mend my bent and brokenness, guess what? This world is also bent and broken, so I'm all the things in it are. And so if, if, if I'm trying to... Uh, Fix my bent and brokenness by just getting off by myself. Guess who I have now as a constant companion? Me. And there's a saying that I heard a long time ago that I think is just really fits in this circumstance, and it says, a man alone is in bad company. Get a lot of shit, got a lot of head nods on that one. I just really think that's true. Hopefully, we are seeing the hopelessness of trying to use this method to fix our problem with unfulfillment, right? Now, things are not hopeless. This is where the good part starts. Let's read verse 15. But the free gift, let me say that again, the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abound for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following the trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. See what I mean about this? But here's where we're going to focus on 17. For if, because of one man's trespass, 
death reign through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of what? Righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. See, here's the point I'm trying to make. Righteousness, right standing, right standing with God is not acquired by us via word or deed, but is imparted to us as a free gift from God through Jesus Christ. Are you hearing me on that? I really want to read that one again. I mean, I wrote this down so I'd get it right. Righteousness, right standing, is not acquired by us via word or deed, but is imparted to us as a free gift from God through Jesus Christ. Now, let's talk a little bit about why that is so important. A little while back... uh, we were at small group, and this came up, and, and, and I, I don't remember where I'd seen it or heard it, but it, it came up, and, and we talked about it, and, and I think it's, I think it's a, a very appropriate thing for us to look at right here. I don't know how long ago. Derek actually looked it up for me, and I meant to ask him, and I forgot it. But it was a, a good while back, and the reason I know it was a long time ago is because there was not an SEC SEC team playing for the National Football Championship. Uh, it was actually the University of Texas was playing the University of Southern California for the National Football Championship. This goes all the way back to when Vince Young was the quarterback for Texas, okay, to give all the, all the football fans kind of a, a point. And if, if you happen to be watching it, I was not. Uh, but uh, there was a point in the game, very late in the game, where Vince Young took, a, took the, the snap from center, and they had one of these kind of quarterback sweep, quarterback sweep to the right kind of thing going on. And he cut the corner, and he had one guy to beat, and it looked like the guy was going to tackle him. But Vince made one of those classic put-your-foot-in-the-ground moves, and the guy, I think, just basically whiffed. I mean, he, he missed him altogether. And, and Vince Young scored the, the touchdown. This would be the touchdown that gave Texas the national championship for that year. Now then, in the midst of this, there was along that back wall where he was running into the, to the, to the end zone is where the USC, the Southern California cheerleaders were standing, okay? And they're all standing there with, you know, like, you know, except one. And somehow she got kind of caught up in the moment with all the yelling and the screaming and, and everything that can go on when it's a neutral stadium, you know. You, you, and, and, and she jumped up with her pom-poms up in the air and was celebrating her team losing the national championship. Now, what made it so interesting was there was a photographer at the other end of the football field that had a long lens on, and he snapped the picture, uh, and, and this picture's out there. I, I mean, I've actually seen the picture. The, I think it ran in Sports Illustrated, but I'm not sure. But anyway, 
this guy snaps the picture of Vince Young going, winning the national championship for Texas, and in the background, there's this USC cheerleader jumping up with her pom-poms in the air. Why would you bring that up, Mike? Well, <laughs> here's what I fear. I fear we'll celebrate the wrong thing. Let me explain what I'm talking about. You see, I think we run the risk of pursuing things like right behavior, moral speech and moral acts, great programs, beautiful stuff, and then celebrating that. Yay, I'm not doing that anymore. What I want us to celebrate instead of, yay, I'm not doing that anymore, is somebody saying, I pressed into Christ and his righteousness and God, through Christ, has done a marvelous work in my life. And God, through Christ, has moved me from this terrible thing, this thing that's in my past that's dark and it's ugly, but he's moved me to this new place where I celebrate Christ and his righteousness. And I know that God looks at me through the spilt blood of Christ, and he's looking not at my past and the, these things that I've done, but rather he's looking at me through, through Christ's righteousness. And he's seeing me as he sees Christ. And he is pleased. And because of that, I can press into God. And I can press into God. And more chains will loosen. And more chains will fall. Because not because I'm trying harder. Not because I'm doing this program. Not because I'm doing this thing or that thing. Not because of, of, of I've achieved this, this thing along the way. But rather because I have pressed into God. And through his work, through Christ's work on the cross, I can celebrate where I am. Do you, do you see that difference that I'm getting at here? It is monumental. Because if we're going to celebrate, yay, look, look at me, all we've done is are celebrating our own self-righteousness. I might have got off script a little bit there. So what, what about this, this church here, this, this, this church, Riverside Church? I, I really pray we never get to the point where we feel like we've figured it all out, that we've figured out a kind of a way to do church. I, re, I really, really don't want us to ever get there. I pray that we have a place where you and I can gather together and we can press into God together and we can celebrate each other's lives and we can celebrate each other's 
victories and we can mourn for each other's losses and we can be there and we can walk together and we can be there for one another and we can pray for one another and we can look to one another for help and we can look for one another to be of help. And I pray that what we see here is Christ's righteousness. And we can celebrate his goodness and his redemption. Let's celebrate things like God showed his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let's celebrate things like there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's celebrate things like he became sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness. Okay. Mike, you want to start making your way up? Y'all, this is just, like I say, this has been on my heart for so long. I'm so glad to kind of finally have an opportunity to do it. And I just, this is so, this is so big. So if, if anybody wants to talk, if anybody wants to talk, please grab me, Charlie, Scott, there's several of us around back there. There's Cully back there. There's Andrew over here. There, there's plenty of people that, that if you want to grab somebody and talk about this stuff, please do that. If I said something and, you, you're, going, and you're thinking, you know, I might have been thinking about that wrong, and I'd like for somebody to pray with me on it. Would you, would you let us know that and let us do that? I mean, we actually, uh, the, the leadership here is actually blessed when we're, when we're allowed to, to come alongside somebody and, and, and work with you. I'm going to pray, and then Mike's going to play, and uh, we'll be dismissed after that. Just you guys think about this. Lord, we love you so much, and God, what would we do if it not, were not for you sending your son that he would die and doing all of that while we were yet sinners? Thank you again. Thank you, thank you. Go with us today. Go with our families. Watch over us. In Jesus' name.